episode 122 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hey guys, my name is Leah Oaks. I am a private pilot. I just fly for fun on the side and I work in the aerospace and defense industry actually as a manufacturing engineer. What is going on, Aviation Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today is a, I know I've said this last week, I probably said this a million times by now, but another great episode. I uh, This has been a long time coming with, uh, I recorded this probably three months ago now when I was on vacation. Uh, right when coronavirus was kind of taking full effect, I had like 19 days off, and I think I had 22 interviews in a row. So uh, we tried to get two a week going for a while, but we just couldn't keep it up. Things are starting pick up a little bit flying starting to pick up for me and kevin the editor uh and we just couldn't keep it up so we're still we're going back to one a week now which i hope you're okay with it's still getting you great content and she's gonna be weekly on tuesdays but today's episode it's a great one like i said it is with leah oaks now that might sound familiar to you because she did an amazing tedx talk called why your daughter should learn how to fly an airplane and i mean i 100 percent agree with her we need more women in aviation and we talk about that talk about how we talk about why we talk about what we can do and uh we, we have a great conversation we find out why she originally wanted to start flying the influencing and the people that have influenced her to become a pilot and she talks about her ted talk she talks about how crazy difficult it is to have a ted talk and the expectations they have for you so if you ever want to do a ted talk be prepared oh my goodness it's crazy but if I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot. You can check our website out, pilotthepilothq.com. And you can also support us with Buy Me a Coffee. The link is usually in my bio and Instagram or any kind of show links there as well if you just want to buy us a coffee. That is greatly appreciated. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was a great talk and one that I'm really excited about. I know I said like 10 times by now, but it's true. So without any further ado, here's Pilot Lee. Leah, what is going on? And welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Excited to have you on and share your story. I'm excited to share. Sweet. Well, uh, first thing I ask everyone, it's a, a very simple question and it, it leads to a lot of good conversation, but it's <laughs> why aviation? What was your original inspiration? How young were you? Just the original why aviation? Aviation came to me not as a young child, actually. Um, my grandfather was a pilot, but I wasn't really exposed to it. Um, I was exposed to aviation after I got my degree in college. Um, I went and got my degree in mechanical engineering. I was interested in aeronautical engineering, but I was going to the state. I live in Nevada, and they offer at the time they offer a scholarship program to stay local. So I couldn't. I could have, but I chose not to leave local. That way I could use a scholarship. So the degree options and programs were a little more limited. So mechanical engineering was the closest I could get to aeronautical engineering. Yeah. Um, so stayed, so, stayed local for the scholarship. That sounds smart. Yeah, it saved money. <laughs> yeah, it sure. might be the harder decision. I mean, not really a hard decision, but everyone kind of has dreams of going to like an out-of-state school every once in a while. But if you can save that money, it uh, is huge in the long run. Huge, huge in the long run. So I stayed local and I got my degree. And I, my first job out of college happened to be for an aerospace company. It was kind of happenstance. Um, 
it was power of networking for sure. How I got my job. I went to, uh, there's a society called um, American Society of Mechanical Engineers and there's student societies and there's professional societies. And I went to a joint one um, my senior year trying to meet like people in the industry to get a job after college. <laughs> um, and I had like very passively applied to jobs online, which is not a good strategy. You really need to go in and talk to people and meet people. But I was shy. So I just applied to some places online and one of the companies I applied for was at that meeting. Some of their people were there. And they uh, they had everybody stand up and introduce themselves. And so when I saw that that company was there, when I introduced myself, I stood up and said, Hi, I'm Leah. And I pointed at them and said, And I just applied for your company. <laughs> and I haven't heard back. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 20 minutes. I need to know yes or no right now. Yeah. <laughs> So that was how I got my first job. They brought me in for an interview and they showed me everything they do for aircraft. They do fasting systems for aircraft. Um, the company's called ClickBond. And I just got immersed in aviation right out of college um, from the manufacturing supplier side of things. And my, my first boss was a pilot and the family that owns the company, they're all pilots. There's hangars full of airplanes and it was just a full immersion after college, which was unexpected, but like the coolest blessing. When you're growing up and, and you got, say, or, so you got into the aviation industry and growing up, would it be a surprise to your friends, to your family that like you're a pilot or you're going into aviation or is this kind of as expected? Like, oh yeah, we could definitely see that. I think it was a surprise because I just, I never, ever talked about it. It was nothing I had ever pursued. Um, my grandfather stopped flying before I was old enough to go with him. So I didn't really talk flying with him. And, um, I'm actually the only grandchild or child, um, in the family that has flown after him. My mom's cousin flies. Um, he built an RV actually, um, which is fun because he has a daughter that's my age. And when we would play, we'd go over to their house and as we both grew, the plane grew as he built it. <laughs> um, so he was, I think, and his daughter didn't fly and I was the only kid in the family that picked up flying. So I think people were surprised, but excited. So yeah, it kind of keeping that, uh, aviation and the family blood there. Exactly. That's cool. That's, that's cool that, uh, as you were growing, the plane was growing too. It's like, shouldn't have you been done by this by now? Like, why is the plane yeah. still not done? We're 16. Like what's going on? <laughs> why are there still parts in the living room? <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? I want to fly this now. <laughs> So what was, um, so you're working at this company, you uh, are kind of immersed in aviation, kind of not necessarily by choice, but it just kind of happened. What was it that kind of like caught your attention about aviation coming from someone who maybe never even thought about being a pilot or even being in aviation, but why did you, why do you think you started to fall in love with it? I was terrified of it. I hated flying. Um, oh man, I hated it. I, I had a huge fear of flying and my boss took me up. It was my first small airplane ride. And he's like, well, let's fly to lunch. And I'm always, I will always try anything once. Um, I'll try any food. I'll try anything once. Cause I, I, I don't like to be the person that says, oh, I don't like that without trying it. So I was like, okay, I'll try the small airplane ride once <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. And so he took me up in his, I think it was a 205. And we flew the next town over and landed and walked lunch and flew home and I was I was hooked in an instant. It was a totally different experience than flying um, on an airline. It was just 
I was enamored with it. And I was like, I have to do this. It still scares the crap out of me, but I want to do it. <laughs> what was uh, what were your original fears kind of based behind? Was it just the unknown? You didn't really understand aviation? Like, why was there turbulence and small planes or airlines? What was the, uh, what made you afraid? Definitely the unknown. Um, I think coming from an engineering background of having to understand how things work. I don't do well in situations where I'm not in control or I don't understand the variables of input. And so when I was able to sit in that airplane and my boss was explaining to me the instrument panel and how everything was working, I was just, it started to click and I felt like it was something that I could learn. It felt doable to me. So when you land after that flight or you all smile and you're like, oh my gosh, I kind of want to do this. You're like, oh, let's see what happens on the flight back. Oh, I was in major trouble. I was hooked. <laughs> and then my boss told our the corporate pilot, who's the flight operations manager at that company. So he's, uh, he, he teaches on the side, not out of a flight school, but just on the side for fun. And he gave him a heads up that I was interested and he was relentless. Hey, I heard you want to fly. Let's go fly. Free introductory flight. Let's go do this. And it just... He was relentless to get me into an airplane because he saw the spark. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love that because it's just great about the community seeing someone being so excited about something, seeing how your first flight of aviation can kind of cause that spark. But if you, maybe you needed someone to help push you to keep going, or maybe like you start doubting yourself. But if you have someone there that keeps kind of talking to you, like, hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, you know, and, and pushing you toward this goal, it can, it can help you uh, foster this goal and uh, actually go do it. Oh yeah, it's life-changing to have that support system. Did you start training pretty quick? Was he persistent enough to get you on the plane pretty quick? Or did you take some time? <laughs> he was pretty persistent. I think the flight was in summer and I started in the fall. <laughs> He's like, just save up a grand. and or he, or he was like, just charge it to a credit card. And I, I'm not into debt. So I was like, I'll call you. I'll let you know when I've got a grand saved up. And I Walked up to him a couple months later and said, I got a grand. Let's start. That's awesome. How long did the grand last you? Not long. (laughs) Yeah. Aviation, man. I I asked a question later on. It's like, what did you wish you knew before you started? And it's like, you you think you know how expensive aviation is, but you don't know until you see a grand go and what, like three flights, four flights. Oh "Oh, my gosh. It's painful, but it's so worth it. Did you do anything while you were saving that money? Did you uh, do anything to study? Did you do anything to kind of prepare yourself? Like, were you watching YouTube? Were you listening to podcasts? Were you doing other stuff like that? Or were you just kind of like, I'll wait till I have my money and I'll I'll do it all then? I think I was just saving money, but I was also like learning about the company's product at the time and how, what we built, how it was installed on airplanes and learning about different types of aircraft. So I was still just fully immersed in the industry while I was waiting to save up that money so I could really understand how flight worked. Yeah. That, that's a good, good point. It's a good way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's great that you had that opportunity. You had that job and, and we're in kind of a, a place where you were able to kind of foster that love and kind of see, just be around aviation and be immersed in it. Oh yeah. It was a dream. The flight, the plane that I trained in was literally parked outside the office door. <laughs> <laughs> that can make it really hard when it's an, a, a crappy day and you're like, but the plane's right there. Or it's a really nice day and someone else is flying it. You're like, no, that's mine. That, that Oh man, you're speaking my language. If I saw the, if I saw little Cherokee, I would, because the 
the company was on there is on the airport and I'd see the Cherokee go and be like, who is flying? Why is it not me? I know this is not fair. This is not okay. <laughs> I love aviation. No one else can do this right now. Yes. <laughs> So when you are when you're in this stage, you are kind of uh, thinking about flying. What's your goal with flying? Is it just to, to get your private? Is your goal to to eventually fly, like have your own airplane, to keep going with it, or what's your main goal? I'm a lifelong learner, so I definitely want to go after instrument rating, um, tailwheel endorsement. Um, I don't know how much further I go past that because I don't. I'm not pursuing a. a a career in flying. Um, I've kind of built my career as an engineer and I really love my career, but I'm, I also am a better pilot when I'm learning. So, um, but I would like to own my plane, a plane someday. I would love to buy back my grandfather's plane. Ooh, is the dream. That'd be cool. What yeah. kind of plane did your grandfather have? He flew a P-35 Bonanza. Oh, cool. Do you know where it is right now? Are you in the, in the process of trying to find it while you're saving up money to buy it? I uh, tracked it a couple of years ago because my grandmother sent me some information on it and they didn't know where it was. Um, they lost tracking it. Um, the joke in the family was it went to drug lords because they couldn't track the registration anymore. <laughs> it might not <laughs> uh, be wrong, I, you know? <laughs> I know. Yeah. But now that they have databases, I had um, the serial number on it and I was able to track it. And as of a couple of years ago, it was in Lubbock, Texas. Okay. So a couple of years ago in Lubbock, are you still tracking it? Do you have like a flight aware alerts on it when it takes off and leaves just to see where it's going? I don't spy. (laughs) Sure. uh, The guy guy that owns the plane is going to be like, uh, why does this lady keep tracking me right now? It was, it was for sale when I called and that was the kicker. Oh yeah. I was just, I was really sad. I didn't have, you know, $90,000 on hand. I know. How dare you? How could you not (laughs) just take out a credit card? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of credit cards. What was, uh, what was your training like? So someone that is in a career that has a lot going on, like you have a, you have a job that you have to kind of devote all your time to, but you also want to be a pilot. You also want to train. How did you balance both of those at the same time? Uh, I'm probably not the best example of balancing. (laughs) It took me a while to get my private. um, And it's expensive when you don't fly consistently because you have to relearn. um, Even with the plane outside the office door. But it really was, it was commitment of time and commitment of weekends. Or I would fly on my lunch break. And if my lunch break went long, I would work late. Or I would come in early and work late. Or I would... um, like come in work early to fly and then work late, or I would um, come in early to work early and then leave early to go fly. It was very much a manipulation of schedule and doing it as much as I could when I could. Um, and then money is always a factor if I ran out of funds because um, I paid for all of it out of pocket minus the support of some scholarships. I didn't do loans. I didn't do a debt-free pilot license, but it took time. If you could go back and do it again, I know you said you're anti-debt, but you were able to do it without taking out any loans, without without using credit cards. It, it, that's really hard because like you said, it takes more time. Would you do it the same over and over again? Like uh, if you could say you took out loans and you would get it done in a month, would that, do you think you'd be happier with that? Or are you glad that you went the route that you did with uh, no no debt? No debt. Yeah. As, I, well, and for me, because I wasn't trying to turn it into a career. I wasn't on a time schedule. So I, I had that on my side. How long did it take you? You said it took you a little bit of time, but you might be surprised at how long it takes other people to even that want to be an airline pilot. It took me three years 
two, two and a half. Um, and I took a year off in between. I got freaked. I got spooked and then I was out of money. So I took a year off, but, um, I had a, again, my CFI was relentless. I didn't have multiple CFIs. I had one CFI the whole time, um, because I wasn't going through a traditional flight school where a lot of CFIs are waiting for that next call up. This was what my CFI does for fun on the side. So I was kind of blessed with that and he was very patient and then, but he never gave up. And then I finally just was like, I need to face this and finish it and call it good. And I um, finished it once I buckled back down within six months. What spooked you, if you don't mind me asking? I don't know, to be honest. There wasn't any big event that spooked me. I, I think because I wasn't fully committing to it um, and I needed to just fully commit. And I was being a little wishy-washy with it. Um, and I wasn't fully engaged, which made me feel not safe and I didn't like not feeling safe. So once I decided to mentally fully engage, um, it became really fun because I felt like I was actually more so understanding what I was doing and comprehending it and retaining it, um, and picking an end date of I'm going to get it by this time was really good. I needed like, I needed to structure myself a little bit more. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's good that you brought that up because a lot of people face the struggle in their career of, uh, it might not even be like, they might get spooked. It might not even be something they do in a plane, might not be a crosswind or might not be some kind of maintenance issue, but it could just be a mental block where you are placing just a certain, you just think that you can't do this. You think for some yeah. reason, maybe it's not safe. Maybe you just are just doubting yourself and are really like, this is too hard. Like I'm never gonna have enough money. I'm never gonna have the, the time to do this. Um, yeah. So you got over that. What do you, how do you recommend to someone else? What would you tell someone else to do to, to help get over that? I mean, other than like, just, just do it. <laughs> I think you have to decide if you're going to move forward with it or if you're going to walk away. There was another student at the same time and I think he reached the same point as me and we went opposite directions. He walked away and I walked towards it. And you just have to, you have to commit and you have to decide what you're going to do and then just go for it. Agreed. And I think the the, the kind of tough parts in, in aviation is needed and worth it because it is a tough industry. It's a tough career. It's a tough hobby. And you need to really be in it because you love it and because you want to do it. If you're going to be wishy-washy, there could be a time where maybe you take it for granted or you're not going to be as safe of a pilot like you talked about before. So it's definitely something that there are necessary kind of evils in this industry that you have to come and face and either walk toward or walk away, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. How was your training? You said it was mentioned, it was uh, spread out over like two and a half years with a year off, but there, was there anything that you struggled with? Was there anything other than time and money? Was there anything that kind of held you back or uh, you didn't really, not necessarily like, but maybe it was just a little bit harder than the others? Um, I, I honestly think I was my biggest, my biggest holdback was myself and the mental game I played with myself. And, and confidence because a lot of times my my flight instructor was you need to be confident like you have the skills you know what you're doing um I'm not going to talk in the airplane anymore go fly like you know what you're doing and it was a lot of conf it was a confidence issue with me it wasn't that I wasn't capable it was that I wasn't confident in myself and when and you're a little bit of fear factor is really good and healthy in an aircraft but not to where it's crippling that's where it's dangerous so I had to become confident and tell myself that I could do it. And so that's really what it came down to of 
pushing myself to let, till I reach more of that comfort factor of like, Oh yeah, I can do this. Um, and where I learned to fly was, um, I flew out of, uh, I live in Nevada and I flew out of Carson city, which was, is an untowered airport. And unless you're going to cross over the Sierras, there's not a whole lot of airports to go fly to around here. There's some, but it's not, it's, it's kind of boring. <laughs> it's a lot of <laughs> desert. Around here. Yeah. A lot of places to land uh, if something goes wrong though, right? Oh yeah. That's, that's why the high Sierra flying is out here because there's just so many places to land. Uh, but I mean, I have friends that fly out of California, out of Rancho Marietta, and they are just airport hopping all the time at sea level. That's another thing. When you fly up here, you need a bigger engine. It costs more money, and your performance isn't as great. And so, which I'm actually glad I learned that up here because there's a lot of, we have a lot of issues with pilots that come up to high altitude, and then they don't understand the performance impact on their aircraft, and they get themselves in really bad situations. And I've always had to live with it, so it's more normal to me. Um, but I am like, there weren't as many airports to go to, to like keep it interesting. Cause it, it gets a little old going to the same place every time. I mean, we love to fly, but we like variability in where we're going. Yeah. One of the reasons we like to fly, cause it gives us a freedom and you might not really feel that freedom if you're going to the same airport to get the same crappy hot dog over and over and over yeah. again. You know, it's like, <laughs> I need to see something new. I want to go get that pie. That's over the Sierra mountains. Like, let's go. Yeah. 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 That's so true. Uh, it, it, it's also really interesting, the different type of flying in different areas. Like you said, you're used to probably high density altitude. You're used to mountains. You're used to high altitude. You're used to kind of the airplane not having, not really feeling all the power that it would feel, say, in Florida or in North Carolina or in where Montana on a cool day, not in Montana, that's a bad example, but like in Illinois in a flat, cool day, you know? So you're, you're used to that. You're used to not getting everything out of the engine and someone coming over there and they, they're just like, what, what do you mean? I can't, they're, the runway is 7,000 feet. And <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not going to be able to take off, you know? Yeah. Well, and they don't even consider it. They've got, they fuel up full with four people in their aircraft and then try and take off. And it's, <laughs> not going to work, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's unfortunate. And it's, uh, I mean, that's why we always have density altitude usually on METARs or, uh, yep. it, it even says check density altitude at some of the higher elevation airports. And I think it's somewhere in Colorado, uh, where is it? I think it's uh, centennial right by the end of the runway. They actually have the density altitude yep. update constantly. They and do. I, yeah. Yep. And so it, it's, it's like a little another way be like, Hey, you know that that's a bad idea. Come back, come back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was somewhere uh, Cirrus did that. They tried to take off with four people full of fuel and uh, it, they got themselves in a, a pretty dangerous situation really quick up in that area. So it's, it's unfortunate that that does keep happening. What's it like learning how to fly out there? Like obviously, uh, I mean, like you said, you have those issues, but I'm guessing there's, there also is some interesting weather up in those areas, right? Yeah. The, the turbulence off of the mountains is not fun. No, that's enough <laughs> um, to make someone not want to do it anymore, I would say. Oh, yeah. I had a bad experience after I got my pilot's license on a summer day. That really spooked me. Um, but I learned from it. But people that don't know much about like flying, they think, oh, it's like a clear blue sky out. and it, but, it's, but it's hot, but it's clear and it's not windy. It's like, but it's not nice up there. <laughs> it gets real bumpy real fast. And sometimes the drafts, they push you. I mean, they will push you down and then they throw you up. 
and what goes up comes down and what goes up comes down and it's relentless and it's exhausting. Um, and you just have to fly the airplane. You just keep flying at your like minimum controllable speed. You just keep going. And eventually you come out of it. <laughs> eventually, yeah. Or you land and you go to sleep and you never want to do it again, right? I la- I landed in an airport early because I couldn't, I got, I was exhausted. I was flying out of Bridgeport, California. Um, and we hit turbulence and I couldn't, it was just nonstop. It was really, and that was short. I hadn't had my private pilot license too long. So, and I hadn't ever dealt with turbulence like that with an instructor, let alone, you know, by myself or I had my husband with me in the airplane and I, it just was relentless. And then when I finally got through it into the next Valley over, I saw an airport that I landed at and I was like, okay, I see something familiar. It's cool. Like I know the path home from here anyways, and it shouldn't be bumpy. And then I got hit one more time and I was like, Nope, I'm putting her down. (laughs) And I put her down because I was just like, I was exhausted. And I knew when I reached my, my like, personal maximums and minimums. I think that's really important. And I, I chose the safe route and I was also renting an airplane. <laughs> the owner was like, my insurance, thanks you for putting yeah. the airplane down. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. You made a good decision. You talk about, uh, kind of your own personal, personal minimums, but someone that has little time, just a private pilot, you know, you just a fresh pilot pilot. How do you create those? How did you know, like, was that with the first time your personal minimums were kind of pushed and you felt uncomfortable or did you kind of have an, an idea in your mind, like what you wouldn't want to do already? That was probably the first one that was really apparent to me. Um, that day, if you want a story, oh yeah, <laughs> that, I'm day here was, for a story. that day was already pushing me to my limit. So I was renting an airplane that I had just been checked out in because the Cherokee that I learned to fly in, which I still is, is typically the airplane I always fly. So I am very familiar with that airplane. It was down for work and it was going to be down for a while. So I scooted along to the flight school across the tarmac and I got checked out in another Cherokee, but I think it was a, it was a warrior. So it was a little bit bigger than the 140 that I was flying. Um, and a little bit different. Everything's every plane is slightly different. And I had gotten checked out in it. And so then my husband and I were going to go, fly to breakfast in Bridgeport, California. So we got up that morning, I drove out there, I pre-flighted and something didn't look right with the airplane. And I, um, what was it? It was like the fuel sump was leaking or something. Something didn't, it just didn't, I'd never seen that in a pre-flight and I didn't feel comfortable with it. So I meandered over to the shop next door because the door was open and I popped my head in, never met the guy, but I was like, Hey, you know, I'm a newer pilot. I'm pre-flighting my plane. Something looks a little awry. Do you mind checking it out for me? Um, and he's like, sure, no problem. So he goes and looks and he was explaining like what happened. He's like, it looks like they've been trying to like get by by just over tightening the bolt or something. I don't know. He's like, I repaired it enough to where like you can go fly, but you need to tell your flight school like their short term fix is not lasting and they need to actually repair it but you're fine to fly. And I trusted the guy. So, but that was, this was in July we were doing this and I wanted an early morning flight, you know, keep it cool, calm. That put me back at least an hour and a half. And so then we got up and we flew out and we had no problems flying. And we went to, we walked into town, we had breakfast, we got back. I didn't know how to hot start the airplane. So then uh, the battery died. 
And so then I had a dead battery and I had to call the guy that owned the airplane. That was embarrassing. I was like, I can't, I can't start the airplane. I can't start the airplane. <laughs> Something's wrong with that. What'd you do? Yeah. Oh God. So then he's like, well, I'm not home. And, the, and he's in the next town over from where the, where his flight school is, where his other airplane is. He's like, I'll fly or I'll drive over and I'll get in the arrow and I'll come out and meet you. And I'll see what's going on. I was like, thanks. So we just hung out in the pilot's lounge and like two hours later, the guy comes. I don't think he had any haste whatsoever. Didn't care. And so the plane's been sitting and cooling for two hours. Oh no, I and know where this is going. in the process of this, there were guys working on a helicopter and I had out of my comfort zone again, walked over to someone that I didn't know and said, Hey, new pilot. Don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh, do you mind looking at it for me? Cause they were working on a helicopter and the guy's like, yeah, sure. And he told me he flew a Bonanza and this was a Cherokee. He's like, yeah, I went through your checklist and like, I can't start the airplane. So I felt much better when they couldn't start it because I was like, maybe I'm just uh, I'm overthinking it. I don't know. Two hours later, the guy comes with another pilot friend of his in his arrow and he starts the plane immediately. Oh, that's got to hit the ego pretty hard. Oh, and he jumps out and he's like, it's my plane. It likes me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. And so he's like, are you good? I was like, yep. Thank you. So we hop in and now I'm probably at least, at least three and a half hours past the time I was planning on being flying um, in summer hot weather. And when I got out, of that valley is when the turbulence hit and it was really bad. Um, I was very uncomfortable. And so then when I saw the next valley over and I saw a familiar airport, the turbulence smoothed out and I was like, all right, whew, we're good. And then I got hit one more time. And I was like, can't do this. This day has like pushed me. So I landed the plane, but then I had to call the owner again and he picks up the phone and he's like, Sh- shouldn't you be back by now? I'm like, so I'm, I'm at another airport over and I'm not comfortable flying right now. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I will be back out again. So he comes out again. Thankfully, he didn't take as long. And he brings his friend with him again. And uh, I was so done at that point. I was just ready to be a passenger. And he's like, he told my husband to go with the other pilot in the arrow. And he's like, all right, hop in. You're flying us back. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? It's like, yep, you you're flying see, me back. Yeah. He wanted to, to see, did he think that him being in the plane would make you more comfortable in that situation? Didn't really realize how done you were? I don't think he realized how done I was, but I mean, and then he's like, well, let's go find some turbulence so I can he- teach you like how to react to it. And he even admitted when he flew out there, he had a thermal that they winged up on him. Like the whole right side, they went up. And so he faced it coming out. The whole plane ride back, nothing. Of course. Smooth <laughs> as glass. So I'd love to know what's going through this guy's mind right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, he was an interesting person. He doesn't 
operate that flight school anymore. Oh, really? So, I was going to say, he yeah. sounds like he liked a little bit of mansplain at the same time and show out oh. how great he was. I'm sure that was fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's it's interesting. So you, you probably, you made good decisions because you never want to keep flying when you're uncomfortable. It doesn't matter how awkward that conversation is. It's much better than calling or not being able to call and let them know yeah. that either something's wrong or you, you know, the worst a crash and something happens to you and your husband. I mean, it, it's something yeah. that you got to take into account. A lot of people have kind of set rules. I talked to, I just released a podcast on Tuesday. So a week ago now with Hasey Adams. And he always says he has a three strike rule and that's not necessarily just him flying. That's him mentally. Oh. That's him physically. That's his thought process to the day. So if he has like three strikes where he doesn't feel comfortable, it doesn't even matter if he still thinks he can do it. He calls it, he calls it quits and he goes back and it's done. No questions asked just because a lot of accidents happen and they build on each other. It's usually never one thing that happens, but say a scenario like that, all those steps happen. It drains you mentally and you're, you're, yeah. you're done and you try to push it and it doesn't work. So you made the right decisions and it, I don't, yeah, I hope he did realize that you did make good decisions and I can see why he wanted to take you up maybe to show you, but at the same point, if you see someone's done and doesn't want to do this, maybe it's best just to fly the plane and go back home. You know? <laughs> Yeah, give them a break. <laughs> yeah, give them a break for sure. And I, I've I've been in your shoes and where I didn't like turbulence and the and the guy that was flying with me was like, all right, well, we got to go find more. He's like, no, dude, you don't understand. Like, I'm like mentally done. Anything you try to teach yeah. me right now or anything you try to show me is not happening. Like, I just want to go home. In my case, I want to play Call of Duty. I don't know what I wanted to do at that point, but it's like, I'm done. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's it is exhausting. What did you, what was going through your husband's mind this whole time? He's like, oh, my wife's a pilot. She's going to go fly. All right. Now we're an hour and a half behind. And it's like, all right, well now she can't start the plane. And what was his thought process? Was he laughing at you or was it, was he like, come on, we got to go. He's such a saint. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> my husband doesn't fly, um, but he loves to go flying with me. And so he was just, he's a really relaxed person. Um, very relaxed person kind of opposite of me. It's probably why we work so well together. <laughs> we melt, we even each other out. Um, but when I freaked, I felt bad because as a pilot, you're not supposed to freak in front of your passenger, but I didn't care because it was my husband, but I freaked. And it, I was, I got to a point where I was like, all right, I need you to pray. And so he prays like, and I was like, no, no, you need to pray out loud <laughs> into your headset. And then he prays and he says, amen. And I go, no, no, no. You keep praying until this is over. <laughs> Out loud, keep praying. <laughs> you don't stop until the plane's on the ground. <laughs> That's what I told him. And he was so great. He's like, okay. And he just kept praying. And then at the end of it, you know, at the end of the day, when we finally got home forever later, I was I was apologizing. I felt so bad. And I was like, you don't ever want to fly with me again, do you? He's like, I would fly with you any day. Oh, that's He's awesome. Like, Love that. He's like, I trust that you know what you're doing and you make the right, you make the best decisions that you can. Um, and he's like, I will fly with you any day. And that was such a good confidence boost instead of like, huh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going again with you, honey. Yeah. Next day, yeah, call someone else next time. I'll walk to breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. No, that's good. I mean, I'm glad you have a supportive husband back there because, fly, especially with someone that doesn't understand flying, and maybe one, if that was one of the first times he's went up with you, or I don't know what it was, but. It doesn't take long for them to feel uncomfortable because remember before you started, you were afraid of flying because of the unknown and yeah. there might've been the same situation. So you don't know what can make someone feel very, very uncomfortable when you're flying. And you made a good point when you are the PIC, when you're flying the airplane, it's dangerous to show that kind of emotion in front of a passenger that already doesn't feel comfortable 
Because when the pilot doesn't feel comfortable, then the passenger is <laughs> surely not going to feel comfortable. And right. obviously, it's a different dynamic when it's your husband and wife or whatever the case <laughs> might be. But still, <laughs> it's uh, it's just uh, you have to be very careful in showing kind of the emotions that you, you, you portray. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so, yeah. So, does he still fly with you now? Have you guys come back up since then to go get some more uh, breakfast? <laughs> yeah, he still flies with me. I flew him over Lake Tahoe a couple months ago. Um just to do a scenic flight. So that was nice. And he just, he's really great. He loves to fly. And the next time we flew, I flew in the opposite direction very early in the morning in the plane. I usually fly and it was a perfectly sweet, smooth flight. It was like, and it was like, this is what it was supposed to be last time, honey. He was like, yeah, I guess it was, but he was just like, it was great. We'll do it again. <laughs> like he was just, just so relaxed that if that's a passenger you need to have, it's him. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's really cool. Have you ever done the ZRG trick on him where you, you pull up and push it back down and make him freak out? No. You should, you should wait till he falls asleep and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him you learned that from snacks. me though. What do you say? <laughs> or when he's eating his snacks, yeah. he's always eating when I'm flying. <laughs> oh yeah. He better be sharing. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, so, all right. So that was just happened recently and it sounds like you are definitely still flying and you're not, that didn't kind of spook you forever. You got back up. What was, uh, was it hard to get back up in the air or did you kind of forget that pretty quick and put it behind you? Um, I made myself go out and fly the next weekend. Was it bumpy? Was it smooth or what were the conditions? It was smooth. Okay, Couldn't good. find any turbulence. Yeah. And I've never faced, and that actually was, when that happened, that was a couple of years ago because it was right after I got my license. I got my license in 2016. Um, and that happened 2017. So it happened a couple of years ago and I just forced myself to go flying the next weekend and following weekends. And I ended up, I've never experienced turbulence like that ever again. Um, I've experienced turbulence, but that must've been some sort of mountain turbulence that I got myself into. Cause that was a, a one-time experience that I've never come across. When, again. when you're doing your training out there, is it common for an instructor to take you out over the mountains and teach you mountain turbulence and mountain flying and kind of the effects? Or is that not necessarily a normal, normal thing in learning to fly out there? I think it's normal. Um, it, a lot of it is clearance of mountains and being aware of updrafts and downdrafts and making sure you have safe clearances. So no matter what turbulence you're catching, um, you have enough, you have enough airspace, basically. Yeah, you have enough, <laughs> you have enough altitude. You're not going to hit the mountain, which is the most important thing. Do not hit the mountain. Or do yeah. not hit the mountain because it happens. It, unfortunately, it does. You're, you're not wrong. And uh, it can happen to anyone. Anyone can find themselves in a bad situation. And we don't know every single story. But yeah, it's, uh, it's important to know, kind of have everything in mind and what's going on. Um, you can so, be on a perfect glass day and then it comes out of nowhere and it's, it, yeah, it really can happen to anybody. Especially around the mountains. I mean, my least favorite thing to do is to fly into mountain airports, not necessarily all mountain airports, but like, especially Denver, flying into Denver on a hot day, even in a jet Ooh. is like one of the worst things you can possibly do. There's turbulence everywhere. Yeah. It's rough. Bring a sick bag for those kind of flights, <laughs> <laughs> but not if you're the pilot. <laughs> so one of the reasons why I was kind of even kind of saw your page and I followed you a little bit before, but you did a TED talk. Do you want to talk a little bit about this TED talk? That sounds like a pretty cool opportunity to have. That was the scariest thing I've ever done. That was scarier <laughs> than flying. <laughs> how did how did that even get started? What was uh, the the original basis behind it? So this was a TEDx talk. So like when communities put on TED events, it's like it's called a TEDx event. 
And so I was approached by the person that owns the TEDx University of Nevada name and brand. And I actually knew him through grad school. So um, I went back to school and got my MBA and he was one of my professors. And so he knew I flew and then he had someone on his committee who uh, was very interested in women in aviation and her grandmother um, was a journalist and would write articles on women in aviation. And so she told him, you know, I think we need, I think this year we should try and get a female in like a woman in aviation to speak at the event. So he was like, why no Leah flies? Like, why don't we talk to Leah? And they're like, and what they do, the way the events work is they spend the, the whole summer prior talking to people about ideas and then they open up a proposal period. So they, they meet with a ton of people about potential ideas and potential proposals. And then you submit a proposal with no guarantee that you'll even get selected. They just try to cultivate as many big ideas as possible so that they have as much, um, as many uh, like and as many choices as possible to build their event around. So I met with them and I was like, I am just a private pilot. I don't, I am not somebody to be speaking at TEDx. I, I, I should redirect you to somebody else. Um, <laughs> Here's uh, this person on Instagram you should talk to. <laughs> yeah. They've got, you know, 20,000 followers or yeah. here's a professional pilot. Like <laughs> I am not, I was, I felt really insecure about it. Um, but then I realized as I was talking to them, we met over coffee trying to talk about what, what I would even talk about. And I, I threw out the statistic about, you know, 7% of pilots are women. And I'm so, that statistic is normalized to me because I am that statistic. It's a normal thing to me now. Like, yeah, 7% of pilots are women. I hear that all the time. It's no news to me. But when I threw that statistic out over coffee, they looked at me like I was crazy. And we realized that's not normal to most people to hear that statistic. And then um, the head guy, his name's Brett. Brett's awesome. He he's like, I never would have thought to encourage my daughter to fly. Never even crossed my mind. I was like, well, why not? He's like, well, why should I? And that's where my talk came from of why we should be encouraging our daughters and other women to fly. And the talk wasn't about you know, filling airlines with more women pilots. It was strictly about learning to fly and the benefits of learning to fly an airplane and the skill sets and that you learn. And it just, it was like the floodgates opened from there for that talk. And so I wrote my proposal. Um, it's funny. I wrote, I'm such a procrastinator. I had a couple of, like a month or two to write it. And I was pregnant with my daughter and I waited until after I had my daughter <laughs> and I had like a, I had a two week old and I just had a C-section and I was just like, Oh crap, I need to write this proposal. So I wrote my proposal and by the grace of God, they picked it. Um, and I was, then I was really nervous because it was a, they picked, they selected me in August and the event wasn't until February. And so then you meet every month. And it is a very long preparation process. Oh, wow. Uh, this is interesting. I never knew this. Uh, it's very involved to ensure that the talks that are given are polished and clean and appropriate and will be successful. Because the whole point is to create a video. I didn't know that. I thought like you give a talk in front of a bunch of people and they happen to be recording it. 
No, you're get you're you're creating a video, and people just happen to be there watching while you're creating that video. Um, it was a whole different way of understanding how TED works. The point is so that people around the world can can hear your idea. And so I met every month going over my talk. I had to have it scripted, and I had to have it memorized. Oh wow! And so. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, you're very relatable when you talk about procrastinating because if I was ever in that situation, I would be doing the same thing. I mean, you would definitely have other circumstances for why you should be. I would just have like uh, playing video games or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't need to do this until the day before. But it sounds like once it comes down to it, you can't really procrastinate. Like you have to be on top of it because like you said, they have a goal and they want to make sure you're going to perform to what they expect. This is this is Ted the brand. You have to uphold like what the brand yeah. does. So. It's um, it's a lot of pressure. It was, yeah, I wasn't allowed to procrastinate past the proposal, which was hard for me, but it was good. And um, they give you a book um, written by the, the head guy of TED of all. And he writes a book on you know, how to give a TED talk. And, one of, and there's different ways to give TED talks, but we were told to give a scripted one, um, advised to, and then um, coached on how to. And part of the book talks about when you memorize a script, it can it can sound scripted and you, you don't want that. You have to practice it so many times to where you have to get through. They call it like the valley of awkward or something where it's like it's awkward. It sounds awkward because it's so scripted and it's like this isn't natural. You have to practice it so many times that you get beyond that point that it sounds natural and it's second nature. It was just, it was a lot of, I said it in my car every day on my way to work. <laughs> <laughs> Can you still recite the whole thing from beginning to end right now? I, I probably could. All right, here it you was, go. This is your chance. No. You have uh, 12 minutes and uh, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I'm going to hit press on my YouTube video now. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What if, oh, that'd be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and here's play. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you did great. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Just took a nap thanks. for 10 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot. That's really cool. Uh, I didn't know the process of it. In my mind, it was just, all right, we're selecting you to talk about this because we know that you can talk about this. And I always thought maybe you write a script and you send it in and they approve it. But I didn't realize it was, hey, you have to memorize this. Like, this is what we expect. And it, it makes sense for a brand to expect that from you when, when it's such a big brand and they have an image to uphold. And they have some amazing talkers that they had. So you're in some great, you're in the presence of a lot of, a lot of really cool and uh, people have done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. I, I almost didn't think I was going to get there. My first like committee meeting was a total disaster. I walk, I was like walking in their pump, like, Ooh, check out this outline. This is going to be great. And it just got ripped to shreds. What didn't they and like about I, it? it I walked out like on the phone with my husband almost crying, like saying like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think this is going to work. Like I don't even, it was really bad. The first meeting. <laughs> what, what do you think is harder? Do you, uh, getting over your fear of flying and start to fly or this Ted talk? The Ted talk. hundred percent. hundred percent. hundred percent. The That's Ted awesome. talk. That's such a cool experience that you had though. I mean, how many people can say they've given a Ted talk? I don't know, but I think everybody should try it. Yeah, that's cool. I'll pass. I'll just do the podcast. I'm good. Thank you, though. <laughs> you you would do so well. No, you know, I have everyone <laughs> tricked to think that I can talk really well. But as soon as you get me live, I'll be like, uh. <laughs> I, I had everybody tricked the whole time and yeah. I still have everybody tricked. So <laughs> You're doing a good job. You're doing better than me. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> what did you learn in, in so obviously this, that's a very real statistic, what you said, 7%. That's very out there. And we are, it's normalized for us. Like you said, like, I mean, I knew yeah. that. Most pilots do know that. My wife knows that by now. Her friends know that by now. 7% is very normal to us. And it's not okay. We need more more girls in aviation. Um, what did you learn when you were doing more research into it? Of uh, Not necessarily, I mean, I guess your research is more based on the benefits, but also the how and, and the why we can get more girls to be pilots and involved in this industry. A lot of it, I think, was exposure. And it, I think it still comes down to exposure of showing girls that they can, or even just putting the idea in their head that it's something that they can do. And it, it takes a lot of like grassroots effort. I think this is not something that can be like fully commercialized. Like it's grassroots efforts of women going out and engaging with other women and young girls that say like, you, you want to go for a flight? Like this is, let's go fly. This, this is something that you can do. And there are resources out there to help you do this. There are scholarships out there that will help you pay for this. And it's just, it's, I think it really comes down to exposure. I agree. And it's once, it, once you get past exposure, I mean, even right now, exposure. So say, say you have a guy and a girl and they both want to be a pilot. I mean, the guy can see other male pilots over and over and over again, and it's still hard for them to want to be a pilot. So once they get the exposure, it's still like a mindset of you start going through those things like, all right, am I smart enough? Can I do this? Do I have the money? So there's so many things going against anyone being a pilot. And then you have the fact that there's only 7% of people that they can look up to and they could be, or those are accessible for you to, to help and mentor them. Yeah. It's almost a little isolating at times. Um, but then it's even cooler when you do run into those rad chicks that fly and you're just like, you're, we're the same. Like <laughs> I found another one. <laughs> <laughs> I will say some of the cooler people I've met doing this have been girl pilots and they are, are badass. So I would they agree. They're so yeah. badass. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely badass and they do some really, really great stuff. Uh, one lives in Vegas, Diana Klein, who I interviewed. She's really cool. She flies a 787 for uh united and she's just oh, wow. she does so much stuff and is so successful and it's just really cool to hear and hear those stories and she kind of had a similar standpoint it's kind of exposure it's seeing on instagram or seeing in person you go you're a passenger and you look up in the cockpit you're like hey that's a girl i can do that yeah or um what pilot maria is just sharing her life like other pilots on on the space and i don't think everyone realizes how much just posting a picture or a selfie of you in a in a plane can really help someone just just think and that's all we need is just to have the wheels start to turn just to have one one girl yeah. start thinking about being a pilot. Then they talk to their dad, they talk to their mom, they talk to their friends, and that can start to spread and build on it. And it's going to take more years, obviously, to get 7% up to 8% to 9% to 20%. But I think in time, we can get there. Well, I think we were at 6% when I started flying, so we we're already up a percent. Hey, so. look at that. Yeah. <laughs> We're making our way. Look at that. Yeah. But <laughs> we should we can't stop. We gotta get more because girls oh. can fly and they're probably gonna be better pilots than guys are. I mean, they're better at most stuff than what guys do. So it's only a matter of time, <laughs> we right? Try. Yeah. Soon you'll be kicking all the pilots out of the cockpits. <laughs> <laughs> what um so what what response have you gotten from this? I'm guessing most uh, mostly are all positive, but what's been the overall response from your TED talk? It's been pretty good. I think I don't, so I don't have like a large following of people. So I'm not really exposed to the evils of social media. Most of what I got was extremely positive. I had like, I, I got interviewed by a girl in North Carolina for a research project for her AP 
research class, she's doing a paper on how to engage more women in flying. And her dad is a retired like F-22 pilot. And he saw my talk and he forwarded it to her. And then she interviewed me. Um, I got interviewed by some other high school girls. And after the talk had started, people were like, can you tell me about flying? Which was so great. It was the whole point of it. But then there's always like just, I'm, I'm just going to say, there's assholes out there. And like some people would comment of like, because my, so my, my talk got posted right when the shutdown occurred. And so some people would like commented, like, um, one guy called me like a, like a selfish spoiled brat that I have no idea what it's like to be a pilot in an industry, um, at a time as such and all the stuff. And I was just like, well, it's a good thing. My talk was not about becoming an airline pilot. Like my talk was about like learning to fly an airplane solely. And what you choose to do with that is up to you because the opportunities are endless and you can go any direction with it. Um, so it was just kind of, it was, there's a lot of positive, but I'd never really been exposed to like keyboard courage before of people. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and something as innocent as your talk. And like you said, and if the timing pissed off someone or no matter what it was, you're always going to make someone upset. You're never going to make yeah. everyone happy no matter what you do. But it's important to, to hold on to the 99% of great comments you get or even the one girl that you get to start flying or to write an article, yeah. which then gets someone else to go fly. So it's uh, there's always going to be someone that is upset. There's always going to be someone that doesn't agree with what you have to say. But if you can just affect one person, you don't know what that next person, who, who they are going to affect or how many people they will affect. So I think you did a great job. I think the the talk was necessary and was needed. And the timing, I mean, the shut you can't help a shutdown and there's nothing wrong with the timing. <laughs> girls can still fly. They still should go fly. We're going to have, we're going to need more girl pilots in the future. <laughs> And I love that the fact that you touch on that. You don't have to just be an airline pilot. Like go fly and you can fly for fun. Go buy a 172. I mean, that's, I mean, buying an airplane is a lot of money, but go rent a 172. <laughs> go do something. Like, just enjoy it. Just go have fun. Go to, to go to Oshkosh, go to the high seer flying. Find the, yeah. your, your uh, community of other girl pilots or other male and girl pilots and just have fun with it. Exactly. What are, uh, so you mentioned that you would like to buy an airplane one day. What's kind of like your, your dream airplane you'd want to buy? First is my grandfather's airplane for sure. Oh yeah. I forgot about um, that. I already asked that. <laughs> but outside of that, is there an you airplane? Got, you got 90 grand for that dream to come true. We'll raise it right now. If you would like to help her buy that airplane, then go to this link. No. <laughs> Start a GoFundMe yeah. for Leah. Yeah. I mean, come on guys, guys and girls, you can do it. <laughs> this is a perfect um, time to ask for that with the shutdown, right? In the quarantine. Oh yeah. People are just <laughs> donating left and right. Yeah, what could go wrong? Um, another plane, I guess, I guess I'm a, a sentimental person. Um, the other plane I would like would be the plane I first went up in was that Cessna 205. Um, cause my boss passed away, um, unexpectedly two years ago for, uh, to cancer. And it was, he was like the biggest proponent to get me started. He wrote letters of recommendation for scholarships. He wrote me letters of recommendation that got me into grad school. He was my the one that said, yeah, like take a longer lunch break and lecture hours so you can like learn how to like lecture hours to get your pilot license. And he was just a huge, huge part of how I became a pilot. And so to have his airplane and also it's a 205, which is a bigger airplane and I'm almost 5'11". My whole family's tall. So tall, like bigger airplanes with more legroom are kind of a thing. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they're needed. I'm six two, so I understand. Yeah, I need that. Yes. And we're up at higher elevation, so it's got a lot of power to it. So. Yeah. It is a much needed. Yeah. Give me a little turbo engine, you know, like a two oh six with a turbo. We're good yeah. to go. Yeah. No, that's really unfortunate about uh, your boss. And I'm sorry about that. Yeah. It sounds like he played a key role in you wanting to be a pilot. Like you said, he, he helped push it and he helped nurture that that love and gave you the upper, every opportunity possible to make it. Those are very rare people. And hopefully one day you'll find yourself in a similar position where you can share your love aviation to someone else and uh, give back in that way too. Absolutely. All right. Uh, is there anything else I missed? I'm going to move on to the rapid fire section questions, but is there anything else that uh, you would want to bring up with your story or maybe something I missed and you wanted to share? Um, not that I can think of. I'm sure I'll think of it later after yeah. we hang up. You'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I needed to talk about this. <laughs> All right. Oh, cool. Well, I have a rapid fire section. It is, uh, it's not that hard. It's pretty easy, but it is aviation based and you just answer the quickest and fastest answer. No explanation needed. And you just go uh, from there. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. What's your, what's your favorite airplane ever made? So there's going to be tiers to this. It can be like an airliner, like what you want to, what would you rather ride on uh, a corporate jet, a small piston plane. So starting with an airliner, what's your favorite plane maybe just to look at or even ride on? Oh, geez. I'm just going to go with an Aerostar because I've flown one of those and those oh, are cool. freaking fun to fly. That's fun. What about a small piston? Uh, would it be your, your grandpa's Bonanza? Would it be the 205? Or what would you say with a small De- piston? Definitely be my grandfather's Bonanza. Cool. That'd be awesome if you get to fly that. That'd be cool. Yeah. All right. Do you think there's an ugly airplane out there? Do you have a, Have you seen an ugly airplane or one that you just think's hideous? What's the one that looks like catfish? Yagio. Oh God, they're so ugly. I did not set you. I just want everyone to know that I did not set you up to say that. You said that on your own because I get a lot of crap for saying that out loud. So I want to make sure everyone knows that you said that on your own. <laughs> it looks like a fish. It it's does. It's weird. It's a fish, 100%. Oh, All right, here's one. What's, what's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Oh crap. That you can do it. Like you yeah. absolutely can do it. That's a good if, one. If you, it just, you can do it. Seems like a simple answer, but that's uh that's tough for a lot of people. There's a lot behind it. <laughs> yeah. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? Could be uh living or they could have passed on. Um, could be someone on ooh. Instagram, YouTube or Amelia Earhart, anyone like that. Captain Schultz oh, there you landed go. that Southwest plane when that window blew out. That'd be cool. I would love to talk to her. I mean, her composure in that was just phenomenal. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, here's one. What is your overall favorite thing about aviation? Oh, the people. What's the, the people are so great. People are pretty great. I would agree. What's the <laughs> worst approach you've ever had to fly or worst flight you've ever had? <laughs> that Bridgeport flight. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite flight you've ever had? Oh gosh. Flying to Oshkosh has been fun. I've flown to Oshkosh, not into Oshkosh, but into Appleton to go to Oshkosh multiple times in a citation. And that's always a blast. That's pretty cool. How'd you get on a citation to go there? The company plane. That's awesome. Yeah. It's good to have some perks with that. (laughs) Flying right seat. Oh, so much fun. That is fun. That's cool. What's your favorite airport to land at? Uh, there is an airport. 
people might not know, but it's Hawthorne Airport and it's right on the end of Walker Lake. It's just desert all around and bright blue water on this lake. And there's an airport right at the end of it. And this cute little old lady listens. She like kind of mans the airport. Her name's Betty. And she listens on the radio from home. And if she hears someone flying in, she'll get in her truck and drive over and greet them. And she'll take pictures of you while you're flying away and send them to you. (laughs) That's so cool. Shout out to Betty doing some good work. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. What's uh, your least favorite airport to land at? If you have one. I don't have a least favorite. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Here's one. You are doing a cross country. Obviously, like you said, there's not many airports to choose from, but say you decide to go to a new airport, you are getting in a crew car to get some food before you leave. What's your go-to food that you'd want to go get? At the new airport? Yeah. So it could just be like a local food. Like are you a Taco Bell, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or you like to get like a local hamburger. That's what it's known for. What's your go-to? Yeah, burgers and fries. There you go. The hundred dollar burger. Good milkshake. Yeah. I like that. Good job. <laughs> Doing it right. All right. Would you rather fly over mountains, the beach, or a city? Uh, the mountains are the prettiest, but they're beauty and a bitch at the same time. I haven't done beach flying. I would love to do that. What's your favorite airline livery? Airline what? Sorry. Paint job. What's your favorite airline paint job? So you're going to the airport and you oh. see like American, you see all these crazy airline liveries. What's your favorite one? I don't have a favorite. Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, would you rather fly <laughs> one really, really long trip or more like say five touch and goes or five uh, airports in one day? Five airports in one day. What is the biggest win in your career so far? In your aviation career, so outside, so like a flying career, or it could be the TED Talk, either one. Yeah, the TED Talk was the biggest one because I got to, I mean, having girls interview me and ask me, can I fly? Like you said, it's if you just impact one person, it makes all the difference. And I feel like I accomplished that with that talk. Absolutely. What about, do you have a biggest regret in your career so far? Maybe a lot of people say that they didn't start earlier or that they uh, didn't give up, or I know you didn't give up, but do you have a biggest regret? Definitely not starting earlier. Uh, I mean, I could have get your license at 17 and I didn't get my license until I was 26. That's nine, that's nine years wasted. I think not we could be right airplane. now. Yeah. <laughs> you could have your grandpa's bonanza by now, right? I could. Yes. <laughs> uh, Piper or Cessna? If you had to choose one to go fly. Piper, because that's what I learned in. All right. And uh, let's see. That's about... The other one is, do you have a favorite airline to ride on? Like if you could choose any airline in the whole world, it could be Emirates Business Class or you just maybe like Delta on the back. What would you rather fly? Or what would you rather fly? Uh, I was so spoiled at my last job. It was all the corporate private jet. So. Oh, nice. So what's your favorite private jet then? Uh, they did. They had a CJ and a CJ3. Nice. Do you have one that you like so. more than the other? The CJ3 was fast. <laughs> <laughs> all about the speed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, perfect. Those are all the questions I have for you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you and, and hear your story and kind of talk a little bit more about your TED Talk. And it's really interesting to learn what it takes to put on a TED Talk and that it's not just uh, write something and go talk. There's a lot <laughs> behind it. So that's crazy. But I appreciate you coming on and uh, I appreciate everything that you are doing and continue it. And I hope one day we'll get to see you on Instagram talk about how you're buying your grandpa's bonanza. <laughs> Yes, that's the dream. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 122 of the Pilot Pilot Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Like I said earlier, leave us a review on iTunes, please, if you have not already. That helps more people find this podcast. I know I've asked this over and over again, but if you haven't yet, please do, because it really, truly does help. Just think how much you like the podcast and someone else may not even know about it because it's not being recommended to them. So please like it. Please review it. Let me know what you can do. Also, follow us on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot and all the other stuff I said before uh, still holds true. Patreon, swag shop, you know the drill by now. So Aviation, I hope you guys are all having a great day. And as always, happy flying.